Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Home. It looks different for each of us. But no matter what yours may look like, there's a good chance that we all want home to be something similar. It's your home. What do you want it to be like? Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. Some of you are doing really well. Others, a little late to the party, didn't have your espresso this morning. It's all good. I want to say good morning to everybody in Tempe. We love you. Hope you're having a wonderful morning this morning. Hope you survived last week's message from 26 miles away. Uh, because if you thought last week was challenging, uh, you have no idea what's about to happen next. So uh, you, you know going into a message, when I'm telling the Lord, can we please just get this over with? <laughs> I, I, I'm grateful I get to do this, but I'm also excited for it to be done. I want to welcome everybody joining us online as well. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where we finished last week, the first half of this two-week message, and then put a marker in Song of Solomon chapter 4. Song of Solomon chapter 4. Uh, we're going to wrap up our home series this weekend. We've covered a lot of ground. While you're turning, let me just say, uh, last weekend ended up being even heavier than I felt like it was going to be by the end of the message. It was incredible to see the Lord doing some really deep work in the hearts and lives of a good number of people. And afterwards, I just immediately went to the Lord and said, what do we do now? I mean, you said this is going to be heavy, but I mean, more has to be done. That is not the exhaustive, complete conversation and I was a little uptight about it, and, and then uh, I think around Tuesday, uh, Monday or Tuesday, Brad and I were talking, he, he's going to be preaching these next two weeks, and he told me the burden God had given him, and while he was talking, I, I felt the Lord was talking to me, and he said, Preston, you need to just trust me. I had this lined up from the beginning. Brad's going to talk the next two weeks about identity, identity in Christ. And uh, I know I'm a little bit biased, but I know of no one in my life who is as anointed to teach on identity and identity in Christ more than Bradley Dean Larson. And remember the picture I felt the Lord gave me about last week's message, the, the painful paintings, and then at the end was the mirror and Jesus stood in front of the mirror. Okay, uh, if, if last week's message, if the Holy Spirit did started to do some, some really good and deep work in your heart and in your life, I am begging you to be in church the next two weeks. Remember, I don't care what our attendance is. This is not to try and make some push. I'm telling you, I'm just speaking to those where that picture last week, God used it in your heart in some way and something happened in a deep place in your heart. I'm begging you to be at church and here's why. Because the next two weeks, I believe God's going to use Brad to help some people build the mirror 
as Brad was telling me what he's going to preach on, I legitimately, I felt the Lord saying, Preston, this is what Satan does. He takes people and positions them in front of the painful paintings, convincing them this is a mirror. And so they look at the painful paintings and hear the voice. This is who you are. That's what happens when you look in a mirror. This is me. And remember, at the end of that wall was the mirror that Jesus stood in front of. So I'm just telling you, the next two weeks are going to be really big for a good number of people the Holy Spirit wants to do a long-term, not short-term work in, okay? All right. Remember, if you weren't here last week, uh, you can go back and watch last week's message. We started a 10-point, two-week sermon on extremely intimate sex. Okay? And let me just say, we don't talk about this every week, all right? So if this is your first time here, don't add a boy me and be like, oh man, do they talk about this every week? We talk about it when God says, that's the goal around here. Uh, but we're going to talk about some kind of sensitive things. And I, I kind of want to just go like this, most of the message. Like I, I don't want to walk into your marriage bed. I don't even want to go through the door. I kind of want to just stand on the outside of your house. I don't even want to get that close to your marriage bed, Okay. And just be like, hey, before you go through the garage, here, take this with you. Um, and so I want to be really sensitive. But we covered the first five elements of the extremely intimate sex equation last week. And now we're going to finish with the final five. Here's point number six, agreement. Agreement must be present in a God-honoring marriage. God blesses unity, not division, separation. He blesses Unity, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. That was point number five, consistency, right? Unless you both agree. Okay, don't do this unless you both agree. Here's what I would call the principle of agreement in the marriage bed. If, here's the one-liner for you, if, if you're taking notes. If you can't agree on it, you shouldn't do it. Yet. I'm not talking about sex. If there's something the two of you don't agree on, here's what I would say. Even if it's a good and godly thing that you can see in scripture, here's what I'd say. If you don't agree on it yet, it's not yet time for it. There needs to be more dialogue. Healthy marriages always have healthy conversations. Remember I told you about the best sex one-liners uh, this is one of my favorites. The best sex is between best friends. The best sex is between best friends, not roommates who agree on a few things. Best friends. Amos 3, verse 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Of course they can. We need to agree. Now, there's a lot we need to agree on, but when we talk about sex in marriage, and we're trying to have God-honoring, extremely intimate sex lives in the marriage bed, we need to agree on something, all right? And here's one of the most important things we need to, to agree upon in order to have God-honoring, extremely intimate sex in the marriage bed, that the best sex is between two God-honoring spouses who agree that sex is a gift from God. Sex, we have to agree is a gift from God. Not just something good, it's a gift. And here's one of the reasons why that's so important. Because when you see sex as a gift, you'll want more of it. 
But when you see sex as a chore, you will want less of it. How many of us love gifts? Just put your hand up. Okay, hold it up high. If, you, if the person next to you, you're married to, and they don't have their hand up, you got off scot-free. <laughs> Most likely, all of us love to receive gifts, right? Okay, how many of us love doing chores as much as we love receiving gifts? Please put your hand up. Okay, yeah, there's a couple. There always are. It's not bad. But the rest of us are like, no, no, no. I, hey, this is like, you know, Cain and Abel. I love one, I reject the other kind of a thing. I love receiving gifts. But I don't like chores. When you see sex as a gift, you'll want more of it. But if you see it as a chore, you'll always want less of it. Now, when we talk about agreement, there might be a few who say, yeah, but Preston, my, uh, for instance, my husband and I, we're not on the same page. Like he's obsessed with sex. Like, and it's really annoying. Okay, well, help me understand that. Like not too much, but help me understand that. Well, I mean, he wants me to send him flirty, semi-dirty texts during the day. And he sends me in the middle of the day. Like, Preston, I'll be sitting at my desk at my office, and my husband will text me something flirty-dirty. He's obsessed with sex. It's just dirty. Okay, so let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Your husband's at work, you're at work, and he sends you a text saying, I'm supposed to be thinking about work right now, but I can't stop thinking about you. Hey, sounds horrible. <laughs> what a terrible human being. Like you're telling me he's not thinking about the woman in the cubicle next to him? It's as though she doesn't exist because all he can think about is you? If that's dirty, then I don't want to be clean. Okay, it's perspective. Preston, he's obsessed. Now, let me say this before this gets too far down the road. I do believe there, there is a way to know if he is obsessed with sex or if she is obsessed with, with sex. How do I know I'm obsessed with sex? When you lustily pursue her hips more consistently than you lovingly pursue her heart. And if that's you, let, let me just stay with, I know I, I kind of personalized this, for the males. Doesn't mean it can't be true for the females, but let me, let me just say, if you have lustily pursued her hips more consistently than you've lovingly pursued her heart, I have difficult news to share with you. You've turned your wife into a sex doll with no brain and no heart. Doesn't mean you're bad, it just means maybe some of the habits have gotten bad. And you just need to be reminded that two of the most powerful sex organs God has given your wife are right here and right here. Now, where we're gonna go next, some of you might have a little difficulty with, okay? Just remember, it's God's word, all right? Um, don't, don't, I'm not gonna read your email, so don't send me one. 
with a subject that says oral sex, okay? I will not read it, all right? And I wanna be really careful with this because remember, here's what many of you don't quite fully understand. I've logged a lot of hours in counseling over the last two decades of my life that involve trauma and pain in regards to sex in the past. Not in their present, in their marriage, but trauma and pain from their past. And so I wanna be really, really sensitive, but I also wanna say that just because uh, something was experienced that was traumatic in your past doesn't mean that God's desire was that every time you would ever experience it, that it would be traumatic or still attached to that trauma. He's the God who loves to heal. That's what he said in Exodus, I am the Lord your God, the Lord your healer. Okay, so I wanna be really sensitive, but I also don't wanna run away from something that's in the Bible. We have a rule in our house. We have many rules, but one of them is if God talks about it in his word, we're gonna talk about it in this house. If God talks about it in his word, we're gonna talk about it in this house. Okay, Song of Solomon chapter two, verse three, listen to the way this woman talks. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. Okay. I get it. Preston, is that? Yes, it is. How do you know? Well, I did a little study this week. Um, my, my wife texted me on Tuesday. She said, how's your week going? I said, well, this is what I've been studying for the last 10 hours of my job. Uh, I have over 40 commentaries in my library, and I went through on Song of Solomon 2, verse 3, all of them. And I found something interesting. Only two of them actually talked about what this was about. Well, Preston, that, that would probably mean that the majority are right. Uh, that's not true. In Near Eastern culture and in biblical times, this was highly erotic language. And what was so wild is literally over 40 of the commentaries I have access to, which are some of the best, that the average commentator only put two or three sentences about this, and many of them just simply said, she felt safe and protected in the shade of his life. Okay, that's good. That's great. But two actually wrote extremely long dissertations on what this is really about. And it just reminded me, there's a lot of us running away from what the Bible says about things. And some of us have just formed conclusions about our God and his word that may not be accurate. God wants to talk about every area of your life. There isn't any part of your life he wants you to go, nope, you don't have access. No, every area, including the marriage bed. Let's flip over to Song of Solomon 4, if you put a marker there. Listen to his response to her. Song of Solomon 4, verse 12. He says, you are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard and saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon, 
with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, and every other lovely spice. Now listen to verse 15. You are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. Preston, is that? Mm -hmm. Can I take this beautifully sweet little scriptural moment and remind us what scripture says about every word in scripture, that it is what God breathed. If God wasn't okay with this, it wouldn't be in his word. Go a step further. God was the one who inspired it, not just allowed it. Preston, are you telling me that I can kind of flirty flirt and talk about her thighs being filled with pomegranates? <laughs> this whole emoji trend, where do you think it came from? Just everybody's ripping the Bible off. But let me say this, when you read Song of Solomon 4, uh, having spent enough time with younger couples in counseling, I, I just wanna take a moment to remind us all that outcomes should never be the goal in the bedroom. Intimacy should be. If, if you set a goal, well, she's gonna have this happen to her, he's gonna have this happen, it opens the door for unmet expectations which cre can create frustration and lead to bitterness. And here's what I would say, make intimacy the goal not a specific outcome. Here's why, nothing extinguishes the flames of passion like pressure. Nothing. You put pressure on your spouse to achieve an outcome, it can be a form of pressure that actually inhibits the very outcome you're hoping for. Verse 16, listen to her response, because it ain't over. She says, awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love, taste its finest fruits. Some of us are squirming a little bit in our hearts right now. And it's okay, but can I just remind you that in my marriage bed, God isn't just okay when I talk like this. He's pleased. Some, some of you might be thinking, well, surely pastors don't talk like this behind closed doors. I, I want to talk like he talks. God breathed this, and he said, Preston, between husband and wife, I love this kind of flirty banter but we have to agree. If one of us sees it as dirty, the door is slammed shut on flirty fun. And here's what we have to remember. Every godly marriage has a built-in tiebreaker. Holly and I had dinner last night with a couple that just got married. And we were, we were just kind of given the, if we could go back and do it all over again, talk. You know, we've been married 21 years. And... Uh, it, it was awesome. And I loved just sitting there listening to my wife talk. There were times she was put on a clinic and afterwards I was like, babe, okay, 
I, I, this is awesome. You, you like went Dr. Ruth for a second. Now here's why. Because it's an important part of marriage. It's not the most important part. Intimate fellowship with God and one another is the most important part. But sex is also important. Every godly marriage has a built-in tiebreaker. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord, or a cord of three strands was the way I memorized it. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Okay, when we apply this to marriage, what are the three strands of a godly cord? Me, my wife, our God. One, two, three. Here's what this means. Every argument you ever get into in your marriage, there is a third party. It's not just you versus her, you versus him. Every godly marriage has a built-in tiebreaker. That includes on conversations regarding the bedroom. Well, President, I don't think God cares. We've established over the last two weeks, God cares about your sex life, very much so possibly more than you because he's the one that created it and knows the gift that it is to you because he's the one who gave it. If you can't agree on something in the bedroom, here's what I would say. Don't dig your heels in. The healthiest way in marriage when we come to an impasse is to hold the issue like this. Let God pull up a chair at the table and through his word, help us understand the way in which we should go. Even in the bedroom. Agreement. Here's point number seven. The seventh element of an extremely intimate sex life. Preparation. Preparation. Now I get that there is a time and place for a quickie. I get it. You have three kids under the age of six, Quickie becomes your middle name, okay? I get it. We talked about last week, in every season of marriage, there's a different rhythm, okay? So I'm not saying that, that quickies are bad. That they are a part of the equation. But what I'm trying to say is that only quickies points to a problem, that there's a lack of preparation. Preparation is one of the ways we send the message of honor to our spouse, you mean so much to me, I've been preparing for this. The best sex is intentional sex. Now, let's talk about one of the ways we show preparation, okay? This is gonna, let's just get through this, okay? Because uh, it's gonna be a little bit awkward, all right? Cleanliness, cleanliness. Oh my Lord, Preston, are you about to do this? I am. I am, I, again, I'm doing it from the outside of your house. I'm like outside the fence line of your yard, okay? But I'm just trying to, to and, and remember there, there are some maybe younger couples or older couples who've gotten stale who, who have just forgotten some of these principles or didn't know them to begin with because no one ever sat them down and had a healthy, godly talk about God honoring extremely intimate sex. Cleanliness is a part of that equation, and we see it actually in scripture. Song of Solomon chapter one, verse three. She says, how pleasing is your fragrance. 
Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. How pleasing is your fragrance? Okay, okay. Uh, how do you know cleanliness is a part of your preparation when the fragrance is pleasing, not displeasing? Okay, uh, let me just sweetly kind of submit this. I know that sometimes something rumbles around in the stomach and something happens as a result and you can't help it, gas is passed. <laughs> but it's another thing altogether to intentionally just let them rip while you're laying in bed. <laughs> let me just speak to the men because it's probably more on, on the male side than the female side. Not saying that it can't be both true. But let, let, me, let me just bring back, remember what point number one was, honor, right? Honoring God and honoring our spouse. L let me just lovingly submit this to you. Remember, the goal is to treat your wife like a queen. And here's a great rule to remember. If I wouldn't do it in front of the president, I probably shouldn't do it in front of my queen. I'm just, I'm just you're not bad. You're not bad. I'm just telling you. Well, Preston, we're just comfortable around one another. If she can't say, your fragrance is so pleasing. <laughs> Don't create the smell. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, as a part of cleanliness. And I always hate this, this part of the conversation, but it's just part of it, okay? I'm just gonna look down as much as I can. <laughs> Have you ever been to a restaurant and it, it, let's say it's your favorite restaurant and you ordered your favorite entree and uh, they bring it out and you find a very long hair on the plate. Your favorite restaurant, favorite dish. Okay, for how many of you would the meal be completely ruined? Just put your hand up. Okay. Uh, I'm not gonna over explain this. I'm just gonna say, cleanliness is next to godliness. Clean it up. Preston, what are you talking about? I'm not explaining this. <laughs> Most of the time I love this job, but sometimes <laughs> I hate this job. And, and remember, if this is your first time here, please hear my heart. I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be a shock jock. I just know there aren't enough marriages dominating in this arena, the marriage bed. That there are things getting in the way. And I wish I didn't have to talk about these things. But remember, if God's okay to talk about it, then we need to be okay talking about it too, okay? The best sex starts long before the bedroom. Don't just think that sex starts the minute the door closes. Sex starts the minute we open our eyes that day. That's the best way to see it. Now I'm gonna show you in scripture, Song of Solomon, if you're there and you just, you love this book, so you wanna turn everywhere I tell you, that's fine. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse seven. I believe this is the first example of flirty texting by dove. 
Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse seven. She says, tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? This this first thing in the morning. Here's how you know. Where will you rest your sheep at noon? Flirty talk. She woke up in the morning going, homeboy, I better see you for a nooner today. (laughs) She probably wrote it down and handed it to the dove and said, now listen to me, this is an important message. You make sure this goes right to him, not to someone else. Don't send this to the wrong person. That would be awkward. Send it to him. Sweetheart, where are you going to be with your flock later today? Because wherever you're going to be, I want you to know I'm showing up. Listen to the way he responds. Verse 8. If you don't know, oh, most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock. Now that's just... That, that's just bedroom talk right there in biblical times. Follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. Okay, let, let's talk about this for a second. Okay, what, what I would call flirty talk. Some might call it dirty talk. Okay, I call it flirty talk. But if, if you call it dirty talk, here's a one-liner to help you kind of understand where the boundaries are of flirtatious conversation that you would only have with your spouse and no one else. Dirty talk can kick up the dust of stale love, but demeaning talk can open up the old wounds of a broken heart. For some reason, there seems to be this thing today. Uh, I don't know if it's the 21 shades of gray, whatever that, uh, is it 2140, whatever it is, uh, all of the shades of gray. For whatever reason, there's this thing out there right now that that crosses a line to demeaning. Okay, now remember, your spouse was created in the image of God. All right? So I, I have had counseling with couples where she might say, my husband loves, uh, when we're making love, to cross a line and he really puts me down. Okay, here's what I would say. That's not flirtatious. That's harmful. There's a line. And if it doesn't build up, it's a line we shouldn't cross. Having said that, it's okay to be flirty in your texting. Okay? It's, here's another way to say it. It's okay to talk like Song of Solomon. It's a good thing. But don't let it cross over to a demeaning thing. Remember this about preparation. Another way to say it, foreplay. The best foreplay takes all day. The best foreplay takes all day. The more intentional you are in preparing for a special moment, oftentimes, the more special the moment ends up being. Because the message you're sending is, this is not just about orgasm. This is about you. I'm pursuing you. Preparation. Here's the eighth thing. Learning. Learning. Learning needs to be an important part of the marriage bed. For some reason, we all, many of us, I won't say we all, many of us have a fear of failure in the bedroom. And what that can lead to is a very boring sex life. 
Here's what I would say, okay? A, a great analogy. No one bats 500 in the major leagues. The best players in baseball are just barely over 300, which means that almost seven out of 10 times they get out. But three out of 10 times, they get a hit. Okay, the only way you bat over 500 is when you're called to the majors, but you choose to stay in single A. Oh, you dominate single A pitching. You, you can put up a huge batting average. But here's the deal. As that relates to our marriage, that's not a healthy thing. Failure needs to be a consistent part of our everyday lives. Preston, what, what does failure in the bedroom look like? Okay, well, again, let me stand outside the fence line of your front yard. But let's just say, you bring a new position into the marriage bed. And like Holly and I, you're getting a little bit older and you're not as flexible as you used to be. And you think there's a chance that this might not end well. I wouldn't say try that all the time, but I would say, give it a shot. And if the two of you collapse trying, you're gonna laugh hysterically and it's gonna be a sweet and intimate memory you have for a long time. If you have to be an expert in the bedroom, you will very rarely learn new and beautiful things to do. Because you'll be more worried about your batting average than you are your progress. The best sex is between two students whose favorite subject is their spouse. This is one of the best things about being married. When I went to college, they made me take a bunch of classes like math. Now, I, put me in the business classes, but don't make me take math for no reason. I'll take a business class, math? No. Then they put me in the Pauline Epistles class and I'm like, the angels are singing. This is amazing. Why? Because I felt it connected to my purpose, right? Okay, here's one of the best parts about being married. I get to pick my favorite subject. And it's the number one class I get to take outside of my class with Jesus. She's my favorite subject. Your spouse is your favorite subject. Date night is meant to be a pursuit of new information lodged in the deepest places in her or his heart. Learners. The best sex is between two students whose favorite subject is their spouse. You've heard me say this before. The best lovers are learners. Never stop learning. You don't know everything. That's a good thing. When I first got married, I felt like I had to be the expert. Because if I wasn't the expert, then I wasn't any good. And you know what I learned? That it's a lot more fun to take the posture of an ignorant learner than it is a genius teacher who knows everything. I don't know, but I want to find out. Let's learn together, baby. Lovers are learners. Here's what this looks like. You know, on, on the 31 strengths, uh, individ, individualization is one. And what that means, that's one of my top five. It means if I'm going to give you a gift, I don't want to give you just any gift. I want to study you and figure out the one gift you want. And then I want to give it to you. Okay? I think that's a great principle in the marriage bed. 
Here's, here's a way to say it. Giving you something good is good. But giving you something you love is my favorite way to make love. So teach me what you love. Well, Preston, I'm afraid he'll think that I'm dirty if I say, no, no. Do you get concerned when you tell him what sounds good for dinner that he's automatically gonna assume you're a pig? No, you're just hungry. And a restaurant sounds really good. It's human in the same way. You're human. You're not gross and disgusting if you say, hey, can I teach you what I like? Do you know what you're actually saying when you say that to your spouse? You're saying, I want you to ace this test. I'm not trying to make this hard for you. I don't want anybody else on planet earth to ace this test except you. So I am going to let this, every time we make love, it's gonna be an open book test. I'm gonna teach you what I love because you keep telling me I'm your favorite subject. So rather than let you keep giving me the gift you think I want, I'm gonna tell you what I actually want, how I like it. Proverbs 9 verse nine, instruct the wise and they'll be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. This is the posture for disciples in every area of our lives. Disciples are learners. Now, what does a learner look like? Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Wanna know one of the best ways to help? If you are married to someone who has some insecurity issues, they're, they're battling insecurity. One of the ways to help grow their confidence is to study them to learn what they teach you and get better at it. It shows. I don't see you as an unknown commoner. I see you like a queen. I see you like a king. And I'm going to excel at this work. I commit to you. I'm going to get better. So let me, let me kind of say it my way. In my marriage bed, I am an amazing lover compared to where I started. Some of you are like, he's so cocky. Nah, don't judge. It's just compared to where I started. Remember, I told you last week, my first time lasted two seconds. One if you ask Holly. <laughs> I'm an amazing lover in my marriage bed compared to the early days. Having said that, I'm a horrible lover. Horrible lover in my marriage bed compared to where I'm going. You hear me? Disciples are called to be learners. I'm in a process. I celebrate the progress, but I look forward to even more. And so does she. Humble lovers love to learn from their lover. Learning. Here's number nine. Honesty. This is a biggie. Honesty must be present in a God-honoring, extremely intimate sex life in the marriage bed. Intimacy is impossible without honesty. It's impossible, not, not just sexually. We can't be intimate with our spouse if we can't be honest. The best sex is between two sweet truth-tellers. 
I put sweet in there, not just between two truth tellers who, when it's over, one of them goes, well, that was weird. Well, that wasn't good, as good as it normally is. Okay, that's not truth. Okay? That's inflicting pain by, by being inappropriate at exactly the wrong time. But there has to be a place for honesty, sweet truth-telling in the marriage bed. Let me give you a couple of verses. Proverbs 12, 26. The godly give good advice to their friends. I'm gonna show you two sides of this honesty coin. There is the giving honest advice, but then there is also receiving the honest advice. The godly give advice to their friends. Proverbs 13, 17. An unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. Did you know that when you sweetly bring a reliable message of truth in regards to an area of your marriage, that it can bring healing. Now watch this next verse, how God feels about the opposite. The Lord detests lying lips. He hates liars, including in the bedroom. But he delights in those who tell the truth. Okay, honest feedback. Now, it doesn't mean that every time and every single detail you have to tell the truth about. Okay, you don't have to address everything all at once. But if something is a little bit off, we need to build marriages that are strong enough to bear the weight of the truth God gives us. And if there's a difficult issue to discuss, here's the way I've always coached couples to approach it. It's a test of the strength of our marriage. So be sweet, but tell the truth. So here's a rule. Thou shalt not lie about sex. Don't lie. Let's talk about the other side, receiving honest feedback. This is a little bit more difficult for some of us. Proverbs 13, 10. Pride leads to conflict. A know-it-all. Somebody who has to be the expert. Pride. Oh, I'm awesome at this. That will always lead to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 12, 15, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. And Proverbs 14, 25, a truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is a traitor. When your spouse brings you some honest feedback, don't treat them like a traitor who's betraying your trust. They're actually proving their trust by bringing something that may not be easy for them to bring up. Whether it maybe it's about impotence or maybe it's about a lack of sex drive or maybe it's about uncleanliness or maybe it's about doing the wrong thing at the best time. The goal in the marriage bed but also in every room of our marriage is to be able to have a marriage strong enough to where we can be honest with one another. Honesty in the bedroom makes it easier to be honest in every other room. Sex can be awkward to talk about, 
But it's one of the ways I believe that God kind of gives us the opportunity to be honest in other rooms in our marriage. Because if we can be honest about something that can be this awkward from time to time, we can be honest about anything. That brings us to number 10, the last part of this equation. And it's a fun one. Creativity. Creativity. Let me read you a verse. Genesis 1.27. Because remember, Genesis 1.28 is when God makes the declaration to man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. What is he talking about? Make sweet love, people, and make babies while you do it. Okay? That's verse 28. But what does he say in verse 27, the verse before? Listen to this. So God created human beings in his own image. In other words, the creator created his creation in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The best sex is between two creative spouses fashioned in the image of the creator. Present, what does this mean? It means mix it up. We talked about intimate monotony last week. Mix it up. Don't get into a rut. I mean, think about this. Let's take your favorite restaurant, your favorite dish. If you went to that restaurant a couple of times a week, every week for the rest of your life, how long would it take before that dish started to be less than your favorite? Right? Mix it up. I love Mexican food. I love spicy salsa that makes my forehead sweat for a week. But I don't want to have it at every day of my life. Because then it's not as special. And mix it up. Creativity. Spice it up. Wear something different. Preston, that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Or just walk around naked like Adam and Eve in your bedroom. I don't care. Mix it up. Show. One of your favorite things is to find a new way to say the same old thing. Send the message. I want to experience something new with you all the time. I don't know what that means for you doesn't matter. I just want to remind you, you were created by the capital C creator in his image. One of the reasons I always want to be creative in my bedroom is because it's one of the ways I look like my daddy. Go out into nature and just look at how creative he created everything to be. I wanna be just like him. That includes in this area of my life. But some of us are afraid that if we try something new and creative, it won't land. And let me just remind you, any step forward in love 
in a God-honoring way is a good step, even if I stumble trying it. Here's why the marriage bed was meant to be a safe place. And this is the last one-liner of this message. The marriage bed was meant to be the most creatively special place in your spouse's life. Laugh a little bit more in the bedroom. Try something new. Or oh, person, I don't feel as, as beautiful as I did back then. I get that. But you're also the only woman who's brought his children into the world. You have some things no woman will ever be able to give him. You were also the only person there for him when he hit rock bottom and everybody else ran away. Like he's established, he wants nothing more to, than, than to spend forever with you. Don't be scared of trying something new. See it like restaurants. We love to try new things. That's why Yelp is a thing now. Thousands of restaurants to try out. Thousands of new things to try in the bedroom. And here's what you need to understand. Every time you creatively try something new, I think the creator is like, chip off the old block. <laughs> Preston, do you really think that's how God sees my sex life? This is bigger than sex. The creator created you in his image. Don't just be fruitful and multiply. Make it memorable. Send a message to the enemy. You're trying in every way, shape, or form in this day and time to convince the church that we are boring in the bedroom. But every time my wife and I come together, one of our goals, we're gonna shove it in his face. We're better at this than you will ever be because our God created this and gave it as a gift to us. Don't choose boredom when you were created in the image of the creator. Now, I understand we've covered a lot of ground these last two weeks. And for some of us, it was a lot more stretching than we wanted it to be. Uh, and I appreciate you hanging in. But when we finish messages, we love to worship. But there are various ways to worship. One is obviously through song, but another is through work. Our work is worship. We're disciples, we're apprentices. And so here's something I wanna do. I want them to flash up the 10 points of this message and we're just gonna take a couple of minutes. You may not be able to finish, but I wanna give some right now work to do in the presence of the Lord, in the house of God. If you're single, you might be thinking, how can I assess my marriage bed when I'm not yet married. Here's what's beautiful about these 10 points. They're not sex principles. They're intimacy principles. These 10 things, even competition, if you're single, apply to your personal relationship with the God of the universe. Remember, competition was just outgiving. For God so loved the world that he gave. He threw down the gauntlet with you and said, I'm a giver and you're made in my image. Know what I wanna do? I wanna be in a contest for the rest of your life to see which of us can outgive the other, okay? So if you're single, I want you to take a few minutes and I want you to assess on a scale of one to 10, all 10 of these 
aspects or areas of your personal relationship with God. And then if you're married, I want you, get your phone, get a piece of paper, whatever you're taking notes with, I want you to assess your marriage in these 10 areas from your vantage point about you, not about your spouse. That would make for a great date night if you want to assess your spouse. But remember, this message isn't for them, it's for you. So take a few minutes in the presence of the Lord, scale of one to 10. How am I doing in the area of honoring my spouse? How am I doing in the area of innocence? Have I, have I brought some impure things into this? Am I outgiving? How am I doing in the area of sacrifice? Okay, so we're gonna do it right now. I'm asking every one of you at Tempe, those watching online and everybody in this room, go ahead and get out something to write with, whether it's your phone and in the presence of the Lord, we're going to sweetly assess our intimate fellowship, either with God or with our spouse. So take a few minutes and as an act of worship, let's come honestly into his presence and let's hear as we assess these things, what the Holy Spirit would say to our hearts. Take a few minutes. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.